Good morning. This Sunday in the Christian calendar, we celebrate Pentecost as we read the account in the book of Acts of the gifting of the Holy Spirit to us. We also read the Gospel of John's account in which we find Christ himself delivering the gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples as he instructs them through a power-filled breath, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the quintessential divine gift that keeps on giving. The Holy Spirit, who has and continues to actively stir our hearts, minds, and actions to help connect us more closely to God's vision for our lives. Pentecost is one of the three annual agricultural festivals in the Jewish liturgical year. And you thought Pentecost was a Christian celebration. And it has become that as well. In fact, in many ways, we consider it to be the birthday of the Christian church. Pentecost, meaning 50, falls 50 days after Passover. Numbers had significant symbolic meaning in the ancient world, and the number seven meant completeness. And seven times seven is viewed as the magnification of that completeness to perfection. So one might expect that just following seven days times seven weeks from the miracle of Jesus's triumph over death, that something amazing would come to, fu to fullness on that particular Pentecost for Christ's disciples. And wow, did it! If we back up a bit and go to the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we find out a little more of the context of what was happening on this special Pentecost and why the disciples and other followers were where they physically were. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. And so they had stayed put in the city, wondering what was coming next. The beginning of the book of Acts describes the disciples and others gathered in the upper room where they were waiting. We are told the disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers, and other women were all gathered and committing themselves to prayer. According to the first chapter of Acts, there may have been as many as 120 people gathered, waiting while praying together. And then it happened. This great big whoosh sound. The sound of an intense wind filled the entire house and then tongues like the flames of a fire rested on each of them. Could this be the power they would be clothed with from on high, bursting on the scene? Now these flames appearing had to be a frightful sight. I imagine if you encountered someone this morning with a flame on their head, you would say something to them, wouldn't you? Of course you would. And that is exactly what the text says happened. They saw the flames on each other's heads and then they spoke. Yet what came out was not, was, it, was not what was expected. The text doesn't say what words were first spoken, but one would expect if you saw the person next to you with a flame rising up from their head, you would immediately yell, fire! Or something more colorful, perhaps. 
Anytime the spirit makes its presence known, it leaves the people with something special, a gift or, or sign. This special day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit offered a surprising sign in the fact that those present were suddenly, suddenly able to speak different languages. According to our reading, what came out of each of their mouths was in another language, and yet they were clearly understood by others in these non-native tongues, regardless of what they were saying. And apparently, all of the people touched by the Holy Spirit were now shouting, which drew attention from the visitors within an earshot who were in town for the harvest festival, where their first harvest fruits were gathered to be offered to God. Jerusalem was packed with thousands of Jewish people from around the world, speaking numerous languages, who had journeyed to gather in the holy city of David. So now we find out that these folks who just had flames on their heads, these people who are touched with the Holy Spirit, are not just saying, Dear God, your hair's on fire. Rather, each is speaking their testimony to the death and resurrection of Christ. They are testifying to the miracle of Christ in perfect dialects and languages other than their own. This language feat of the local Galilean disciples is especially astonishing to the, to the visitors. They question among themselves, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears, hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them all <laughs> declaring the wonders of God in all of our own tongues. How is this possible? The initial response from the astonished crowd is that the disciples and other followers must be drunk. Now, I don't know about you, but I have yet to meet a person that speaks more clearly when intoxicated than when they're not. Intoxicated people don't speak well in their own language, much less another. So I'm not sure about the logic of assuming drunkenness regarding what is happening before them. I would then wonder if this conclusion was actually pointing to the disciples' newfound boldness and their passion in what they were conveying. Peter, Peter points to that emergent clarity and boldness the crowd is experiencing as having been prophesied in the book of Joel. Peter recites for them the prophecy of Joel while emphasizing the need to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He eloquently tells the crowd about Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ and who has come and has been risen by God. Peter demonstrates himself this newfound boldness. Truly, 
everything we know of Peter up to this point is that he was sort of a bumbling, inarticulate person who never quite seemed to catch on to what was happening in Jesus's ministry. During the trial and crucifixion, when Jesus might have needed him most, Peter was not bold, not bold in the slightest. But now, here is Peter speaking boldly and eloquently. My goodness, what has gotten into him? Is Peter filled with new wine? Hmm, nope. Peter is truly filled with new spirit. And here is why being filled with the Spirit might be confused by the crowd of people instead with being filled by new wine. Sometimes alcohol is used by people to take away their inhibition. When people drink more than they should, they may use intoxication as a means for a change from their regular behavior. People who are more inclined to be meek may suddenly become gregarious, or people who generally are peaceful may act violently. Similar dramatic behavior changes happen to people when filled with the Holy Spirit as well. The meek ones are seen to become bold. The inarticulate ones become eloquent speakers. The normally articulate become speechless in awe of God's presence. The peaceful or seemingly complacent one becomes a protester to injustices. The Holy Spirit removes the obstacles of dread and fear by offering support and comfort to help us stand in the bold confidence of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit enhances what is in your heart and mind that has been gifted to you by God. When you wake, having having been touched by the Holy Spirit, you marvel at what the power of God can achieve with your life. Wine can seem to make our cheerful to bleh. wine can seem to make one cheerful, but the Holy Spirit can truly change your heart to gladness. In the hundred and fourth Psalm and in Ecclesiastes, wine is said to cheer the hearts of humanity. A temporary effect, again. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, gladdens our hearts with the understanding of God's great love through Christ, a more permanent effect that continues to support and guide our hearts. For a moment, those who are touched by wine and those touched by the Spirit may appear the same, but the results of their actions couldn't be more different. Too much wine eventually results in a negative impact of some sort in your life. Relationships can be damaged from an excess of wine. There is no negative impact associated with the Holy Spirit. There's never a thing called having had too much of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit supports relationships between humans, our relationship with creation and with God. The beauty is that you can never be filled too much with the Spirit. And where the Spirit touches our lives, it always creates, heals, supports, and builds up relationships. When Peter, when when Pentecost was over and Peter finished preaching, 
we are told 3,000 people were baptized and added to the ranks of the believers. 3,000 people were touched by just one person being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was the day the church was birthed. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each of us can help us to be bold here at Canterbury as well. The world may suspect you are filled with new wine for what you are doing at times. But time will show the world that the Holy Spirit fills you, supports you, and equips you in the journey this faith community is taking. May the Holy Spirit take away any inhibition from you. And may you choose to act boldly and passionately with the love of Christ this day and every day. May it be so. Will you pray with me? Holy God, today we celebrate the miraculous movement of your spirit as you birthed the early church. Let our words flow with the sweetness of the fruit of your spirit to give you glory and to offer our kindness and love and mercy to one another. Fill us all with glad hearts that burn with passion to live out Christ-filled lives. Let us feel the passion of the Holy Spirit in us as if it were new wine and let our testimony speak what is in our hearts that was given from you. We pray this, O oh God, in the name of Christ and equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.